Welcome to a movement of kindness and empathy. You're listening to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Embarking on a mission to unite our city under the banner of compassion, we're one among 440 cities around the globe standing together to build a more compassionate world. Now introducing the man leading the charge, your host, Will Rucker. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and thank you for joining us for this episode of season five of the podcast. Joining us today is a very special guest who is passionate, who is well-informed, and who has a life story that is sure to inspire you. So welcome our very special guest, Lynn DeSames. Hello. I will. Uh, I just can't tell you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I love to be able to share. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that we were able to connect. I actually heard you speaking at the Shepherd's Breakfast, and I was just so moved by what you shared and the energy that you used when sharing. So for those that may not know, the Shepherd's Breakfast is a monthly event for pastors and community leaders to come together hear about what's happening, and really just stay connected and informed. And so there's an opportunity for folks to share what they're doing. And you work with our foster system. So um, if we could just start with helping us understand kind of your role, what you do, and then I've got a few questions for you. Okay. Well, my name is Linda James. I've been with the Department of Family Services for over 25 years. Currently, I am a foster parent trainer and recruiter. And what we do, we recruit foster parents and we train foster parents. And we go out and we talk about um, the need right now um, that's in our community for foster children and definitely the need for African-American children. Um, I talk about the amount of children that's on Child Haven campus and as great as the staff is and as hard as the staff work, they just can't completely, totally meet the needs of that many children at one time in congregate care. So we don't want children in con congregate care. And then I have the other side of the story as I aged out of foster care myself right here in Clark County. Wow. Yeah. So it's just, oh, I, I, mean... have, um, I have personal, professional <laughs> experience, yeah. The, the full spectrum there, which I think is so important. And it shows that that lived experience can be turned into a life of purpose and passion. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I always like to set a baseline for the podcast with okay. how you view compassion. So I know how I define it, but I want to hear from you how you define compassion. Well, I define, when I think of compassion, I think of people who, one, is okay with putting others before themselves at the appropriate time, though. So it's, we want to take care of ourselves, but I really think about people who, when you're showing compassion, you're thinking of others outside of yourself. You're willing to go above and beyond to help someone that's in need and, you know, willing to make sacrifices sometime for other people, use your time, um, even sometimes finances, um, just time, financial benefits, those things that I think of compassion is wrapped in like a package when you're considering, you know, providing services and resources and support to other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with all of that. <laughs> and it, it's so important for us to understand we're all connected. So really what we do for mm -hmm. others, we are in fact doing for ourselves because if we can help somebody, then we all do better. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. 
So I mm -hmm. want to get into your story. We're going to kind of just follow the natural timeline of your life. Um, I definitely <laughs> want to make sure we hear what's happening at Child Haven and that. But let's start with you. So you said that you actually ended up aging out of the foster system. Tell us, tell us your story. So I entered foster care at 12 years, um, I'm sorry, 14 years old. Um, I entered at 14 years old with a baby. And at the time, um, my mother was heavy on drugs at the time. So me and my youngest sister entered care. And my other sister had to go stay with an auntie of mine at the time because we couldn't be at home. We wasn't found safe while we were in, in the home um, with my mom. Basically, her protective capacity was diminished. So um, before they could get them enhanced, we had to be removed and placed into foster care. I was so you were 14 and you already had a child of your own. Yeah, I kind of, you know, it's funny when I circle back to this, it's like starting to realize I was kind of abandoned. Mm -hmm. I gave birth and then went to the hospital. My mom never even showed up to the hospital. And then they removed me from the hospital, me and my baby. So it was like entering foster care and being abandoned at the same time. Wow. So as a 14 year old, how did you process that? <laughs> so this is what I like to say. So when I was 14, I was kind of like very mature, in my opinion, at my age, in a sense of used to taking care of yourself, used to learn how to survive uh, without the um, guidance of a parent. Right. So I will say I was immature very irresponsible because I was a child. But at the same time, I carried myself like I knew what I was doing. I carried myself like I could handle it because in essence, I had to, right? I had a mom who was absent a lot, who was using drugs a lot. And so me and my sisters really had to fend and take care of ourselves. So I was already babysitting my friend's kids. So I remember um, when I did find I was pregnant, I, I remember my mind saying, oh, the baby just won't go home. You just have to keep it all the time. Because I was already helping my friends with their little kids and their babies. So it, it just, it was just felt like, oh, well, the baby just won't go home. That's how I process it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Please, I, I keep into the story. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So about a time, so I was kind of running from the system. So the system came in, they removed my younger sister from school because I was kind of getting up, sitting there to school, me and my oldest sister getting her ready. Cause my mom wasn't home. My mom would be gone for days at a time. So I was carrying guilt a lot of times because I felt like it was my fault when they actually got my sister because we were sitting there to school. Um, she wouldn't have been at school if we wouldn't send her. So I carried a lot of guilt through my time in foster care for my youngest sister, but just went to the hospital. Then I couldn't run anymore. Um, ended up, I had to leave my baby, ended up going into um, Child Haven. I spent like 11 days at Child Haven um, before my baby came to Child Haven. And then they finally found the home. Um, five foster homes, my um, social worker shared with me, five foster homes wouldn't take me and a baby. And then one single African-American woman did. Her name was Bertha Robeson. She took me and my baby um, in her home. And that's, that became my forever home until I aged out, which means she took the second baby and which she means she took the third baby <laughs> when I was there at her home. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, there's so much to, to that. Number one, her compassion. I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, take, taking, I, I mean, I understand one child and, you know, maybe a child with a child, like, okay, we're okay. But then you grew an entire family and she still stood by you and uh, essentially supported you in your journey. Absolutely. And she did. And, and it's like, I, I, I like to say that, 
she made a commitment to that 14 year old little girl with that baby. And in essence, she kept it. Yeah. Um, outside of having the babies, that's pretty much, if you wouldn't say things that I kind of did that you wouldn't want a child to do, that was the only thing. I wasn't disrespectful. I did write in school. You know, she wasn't running down to the school behind me and things like that. It was with the exception of coming up pregnant. I think that's the only thing if, you know, if she want to unravel, we would have unraveled that part of it. But the rest of the part, we were good together. She learned a lot about how I felt. I like to share after, you know, after I aged out years later, we talked about some things that we never talked about when I lived in her home. Yeah. So it came out years later, but she was very, she didn't know she was saving you know, a young mother and three babies. She didn't set out to do that, you know, but in essence, that's what she did because one, we all believe we would be different people if we were separated and she never separated us, you know? So it's so many pluses to her making that one decision to that 14 year old little girl. I mean, my son who could say his mom is 14 years old, grew up to be very financially successful, got into real estate at a very um, young age, right out of high school almost. He went to college for two years, got injured, couldn't play sports, came home. But I like to share, like, she she contributed to my oldest son growing up to be successful, my second son growing up to be the young man that he turned out to be, my third son growing up to be the young man he turned out to be, because all three of us was in essence in foster care. They all um, graduated on time with their senior class. They never saw the juvenile justice system. You know, and those was the odds. My personal platform, I talk about beating the odds and how all the odds was against us. And we overcame them all. Everything that they said about a 14-year-old teen mom, everything they said about a foster child, I, you know, defied them. All the odds that was against me and them, being young Black men growing up in a um, foster care system, we lived in the projects for, you know, a short period of time. We defied all those odds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for someone listening that says, okay, this this incredible human made this commitment and it truly paid off in your case, right? Yes, because you, you now have a lineage that's successful. You are now reinvesting into our community by helping other families be connected. I, I want to know first, how do you refer to your foster parent? How do your kids refer to her? And what's the relationship like? Is it still ongoing? Help, help me to understand that piece. So, it's so funny because, so my foster mom is deceased. Okay. Um, it's probably been over 15 years now, um, if not longer. So she's deceased, um, but I, she was my forever mom. So I do have, I, I have my foster mom and I have my biological mom, but she is my, she became my forever mom. So even after I aged out, I could still go to her house, still went to the same churches she went to, still spent holidays with the, her. Um, I, I do like to share, like, so when she was um, in her passing period, she was at respite. And I was working at a hotel because my son had went away to college. So I was working at a hotel. He came home during that time that she was in hospice. So we would all go up to the hospital when I got off work at 12 o'clock because hospice lets you come 24 hours around the clock. So me and the boys would get in the car. They would pick me up from work. We would go to hospice and everything she would do you know, body moving while trying to signal, we attributed to she was communicating with us. But before she passed, I was able to share with her that she spent a lot of time, you know, putting her time and energy into her son and her daughter because just some some unfortunate things that happened in her son and daughter's life, right? So she, we knew well, she that- She had kids of her, biological kids of her own then. 
Yes. Uh -huh. So I had a foster brother and a foster sister. Well, some things happened in their lives and their, their lives didn't turn out kind of like what she wanted. So for a woman who was very spiritual, for a woman who prayed a lot, gave a lot of time, you know, to the church and stuff and to the Lord, I think for her, she grew kind of like, I think it was just very upsetting and hard for her to know that she was willing to sacrifice for foster children. And then what she envisioned for her children, she didn't see come to pass. So before she passed, we was in the hospital one day and I, I, I would say she looked so angry. She just looked like she was just mad, right? But she couldn't communicate at that time. So when she was in there, I, I was sharing with her like, you know, big mama, you were saving a young woman and three little boys. But I don't think you knew that or understood what you were doing. Cause I saw the um, relief on her face. I get emotional. You know, I saw a lot of what I felt like the anger just come off of her. Um, because I explained to her, I said, I know that spiritual wise, it's hard for you to be praying and asking for God for something, but then you don't see it pat to pass, right? So I was explaining to her that you were trying to save your own children from things, but you saved a young woman and three little boys' lives who we know our lives would be different. And if for that alone, the world is grateful because we're good people, right? You know, so it's like you did a huge thing, but that wasn't your intention. So again, even when you decide to take a child who's suffered from a great deal of trauma, you know, a teen mom who just needs some structure, who just needs someone to show them different than where they come from, you never know where that, that can lead for them in their lives. You just don't know. Uh, making that one decision to say, I'll help a foster child. She didn't know. You know, my son could say I was 14, hit, my mom was 14 years old and we were in foster care, but yet and still, I grew up to be the young man that I grew up to be. That speaks volumes. It <laughs> does. Wow. We're going to take a quick break. And okay. when we come back, I want to hear from you about how folks that are, are listening to your story and want to make a difference how they can get involved, what's required, what, what the <laughs> yeah. need is, all of that good stuff, all right? Uh -huh. Good. Well, we'll be right back with more from Lynn Just Sames. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Okay, Absolutely. perfect. We'll be back with more. All right. Well, there's how, how you'd like, like to be treated. treated, and that's the golden rule. Camp Anytown has taught me that knowledge is power, and if I utilize my voice, I can make a difference in the world, no matter how big or small. I learned that as long as we stand together, we can accomplish so much more. What Camp Anytown has taught me is that I am not crazy to think I can change the world. I'm crazy if I think I can do it alone. Camp Anytown has taught me that just because I'm different does not mean I don't belong. I learned at Camp Anytown to be more compassionate because you never know what somebody else is going through. Camp Anytown is a no-cost youth leadership camp that trains high school students in diversity, community, and inclusivity. When you choose the Golden Rule license plate, you play a part in a local camp that helps shape a better tomorrow. Learn more at dmvnv.com. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker, and we're here with Lynn Jasames. More from her incredible story. I mean, I should have brought my tissue because this is just so impactful and touching, but I'm inspired. I'm, I'm motivated to take action based on what you share. So for those that are listening that say, what's this experience like? How do I get involved? 
I mean, what was your experience when you first met uh, your foster mom? And then walk us through that process of how someone becomes a foster parent. Okay. So for, so for me, um, I was 14 years old, just had a baby, but I didn't know anything about the foster care system. Even when they came and took me from the hospital, I didn't understand what was going on. And, you know, children don't make decisions, so we don't have choices. Cause if I had my way out of stayed home with my mom, with the rent and I paid for three months, you know, not worrying about how I'm going to eat every day. That's, that's the choice that I would have made as a child, right? So, because that's how we think. We want our parents no matter what. So when I got ready to go to my foster mom's house, I was having a lot of anxiety. Didn't know what to expect. Just was like, oh, this lady was willing to take me and my son. Okay. But I was having a lot of anxiety because I'm like, well, I ain't going to call her mom. You know, like, what does she expect from me? What does she want from me? And more importantly, like, why? Because if I have people that I trust that I would expect to show up for me, but if I end up in child haven and no one shows up, then all the trust in those adults, it goes away because no one is showing up for me, right? And so I was having a lot of anxiety, really kind of scared, had a lot of thoughts in my head. And when I get there, she, me and my foster mom pull up kind of in her driveway, then my foster mom, my caseworker, we pull up in her driveway and she come walking down the driveway. So I'm in the car somehow thinking if I push my body back in the seat, that means I won't have to get out. Right. I could just, you know, and she walk up and she peeks in the car and she say, hey, I'm big mama. But she was about this big. Mm -hmm. It made me laugh and it just took all the anxiety away, like in a matter of seconds, like you know, it just took a lot. It's just, just how she introduced herself. And I understood that it was okay to call her big mama. You know, like she was telling me what to call her at the same time, which took a lot of anxiety away. Cause we don't know what to expect. We take what's like a journey from being here to here. And we end up here. At no, we can't, we have no choice. You know, we have no control of our situation and now we're going somewhere, but we don't know what to expect. And so she really took a lot of anxiety away. And from then on, we just, we was good. Yeah, because the kids don't know what to expect. And mm -hmm. as a new foster parent, you're, I mean, you've gone through the classes and, you know, we'll mm -hmm. share more about that in a moment, but you really don't know until you experience it. It's so, like taking it to a stranger. Yeah. But, you know, don't take candy from a stranger. Like Josh, Josh Shipp would say, you know, they say don't talk to strangers, but just go live with them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that's got to be difficult for even, I mean, you were 14, so you had some life experience, but if you're five or 10, that Absolutely. could be even more difficult. So um, we've talked about child haven, but not everybody knows what that is. Could you share a little bit about that? How mm -hmm. many kids are there right now and, and what the need is? So on Child Haven campus, <laughs> it gets up to a hundred children. Like some, the minute we see it, you know, cart start coming down to the eighties, it goes right back up to almost a hundred. It stays closer to a hundred more than anything. The age range for children on campus is newborn to eighteen years old on Child Haven campus, and we have different cottages. So there's the infant and the medical fragile cottage, which typically is between children with special needs, but newborn to probably six years old. And then once they turn six, between six and like 12, they go to what we call the elementary girls or the elementary boys. And then once they turn 13 and older, they go to the teen girls and the teen boys. And that's how they um, split up for his age range. And then they separate his sex. Sometimes we have to intermingle the elementary boys and girls. It just depends on the need and how high a population falls on each side. So, so at they, any given moment, there's up to 100 children on Child Haven campus. Mm -hmm. So up to 100 kids. 
And are they still going to separate schools? Do, I, I mean, help us understand that process as well. So, so uh, that's that's an important question to ask about our children because we have what's called staying in their school of origin. So imagine being separated from your family, losing all your connections. The one thing the courts and the family services want is for our children to stay connected to some of the things that could stay the same and familiar. So school of origin means that a lot of times children stay in their school and which when they're removed, even if they go to child haven, if they go into a foster home, we want them to still be able to go to their same school. So they could keep their same friends and their same teachers. A lot of them have relationships with staff at the school that they're out. And then those staff know those kids, you know, a lot of times personally. So we try to keep them in the same school. So we'll bus them. We'll use hop, skip, drive, whatever we need to do to get our children transported, even from child haven to their school of origin. So they don't lose those connections. And that, that's so important because I, I mean, Absolutely. I can only imagine, you know, I was really fortunate to, to have a very strong family unit. And so I don't know what it's like to even fathom being separated. So um, I, I love to hear that they at least get to stay with their school and have folks that are familiar with them around. That's yeah, important. we're trying. Um, the course has really done an amazing job because again, with my own personal experience, things were a lot different. So from my own personal experience to where I've seen the agency grown, I'm grateful for the progress because things were a lot different when I aged, when I was in the system, even up until I aged out. Um, the, the resources, the services, the programs, the opportunities that's afforded to our children is, you know, amazing compared to when I aged out. So I, you know, seen the agency make a lot of progress. It, it was in the best interest of our children. Yeah. So even with a hundred kids there, I mean, that's a lot, first of all, just to say hundred kids in one place, that's just a lot. Uh, yeah. But that also speaks to the need. And we're a, a Vegas Valley. We're, we're not a couple dozen families here. Now we've got, you know, over a million in population. So we should be able to find a hundred families. Right? Oh my God. Participate. Yes. So what's the process? What support do you provide potential foster parents? How do they get engaged? The, the first mindset I want to incorporate before we get to talking about this is because I think our communities have lost. It takes a village to raise a child. And when we adapt that mindset, only because these days it's kind of hard to even say anything to people, children, right? Trying to help and support in fear of the backlash if the parents don't agree or don't like the way you helped. And I say that to say that I grew up in a time where, you know, the neighbor could say, hey, Lynn, you know better to be doing that. You know, the neighbor took, could correct me. Well, honestly, the neighbor could beat my butt if I stepped too far out of line. It was inappropriate. And we, and we won't say that could happen today. But the mindset of a village being able to raise the children, I think a lot of times, if we can't say anything to children because of the backlash, then it's hard to help children. Do that make sense? Absolutely. So I want to, you know, feed into that mindset and change that. Change that in a sense that, yeah, it's hard. It's not the same as helping families with their children, but in the mindset of how you want to help and what help looks like. So we talk about it takes a village to raise a child. We don't even want our children to have to enter care. You know, if we could sit back and we see a family that's in need, there's too many churches in our community, right? Mm -hmm. There's too many resources and programs that's available. And sometimes family don't know because we're we're so transient. We are a city that's not rooted in heritage because there's so many, we're so diverse. 
right? Because of the diversity, there's not a lot of connection. There's not a lot of longevity with people knowing each other. And, you know, Aunt Susie, we know what's going on in her neighborhood. She know, you know, it's not definitely not Southern style, right? So with that in mind, we talk about the village, think in terms of all our children as part of a village. And we need people to step up and say, hey, our children need us. And I have to, you know, attest to the amount of children that's on Child Haven campus that's African-American. We need, our, we need our children to be with people that look like us, that we're familiar with, that we that's used to the things we used to know and familiar with how we do things because other people's normal is not our normal. It looks different for everybody's. And so the, the need for African-American children, African-American families is high. It's very disproportionate within our um, agency. And we're trying to improve that. And there's a lot of things and a lot of barriers. And I think it's a lot of mindset that people have without giving themselves a chance. So instead of our community stepping up, if if I got arrested 10 years ago, I didn't counsel myself out. Or if I don't make enough money, or I don't have this perfect lifestyle, like we promote um, LGBTQ families coming into um, fostering with us. We have LGBTQ um, marketing material because we want our children, we want people to love our children. Loving a child does not come with a criteria. Do that make sense? It doesn't come when you have to be black or white and you don't have to be married or single. Those are the things that we, we want to erase some of those myths that people believe. Like even people like, well, I got a warrant. But we're not arresting people because you had to get fingerprinted, you know, to see, um, to come, you know, foster our children. I like to encourage to give us a chance to see if you meet the criteria or not instead of Xing yourself out. Hmm. And it's very huge. So you start the process by first and foremost, taking an info session. Our website is www.clarkcountyfostercare.com. So it's www.clarkcountyfostercare.com is our website where all the information is. But you first, you um, go to an info session. We are fingerprinting at the info sessions now and they are free now. So you don't even have to pay for fingerprinting anymore. We're able to fingerprint right there on site now. Um, when you come to get fingerprinted, after you get fingerprinted, you can sign up to start taking classes. Now, sometimes it could be like a four to six week wait before your fingerprints come back. Most people opt to go ahead and get in classes because they don't worry about that background. The ones that so do. What would be in someone's background just so they, they know? Because I know you're like, don't X yourself out, but help me X some folks out here. Who who should well, not? <laughs> well, we don't want people with crimes against children in our back, in the background. Um, if you have a CPS history, it is, and I use the word assess, because it doesn't always necessarily counsel you out if you have a CPS history. It just depends on the nature of the CPS history. Yeah, so yeah, we don't want people with crimes, violent crimes, especially depending on how long ago they were, may be something that could be considered a discrepancy that could counsel you out. But most people concerns don't be things like that. Yeah. It'd be stuff that we can say, you, you know, we can work with that. Or some people have done things in college and they grown in their 30s and 40s now, you know, and we'd be like, definitely not. We all did things in college that we can, we, you know, we want to undo those things. And so that's what we mean. So a it's speeding more, ticket's not a problem, in other words. Absolutely. Speeding okay. car, I mean, there's been other things that I don't want to just say it and then people be like, oh, I don't know, you know. But at the same time, we like to say, give us a chance before you cancel yourself out because the mindset is, well, I'm doing this to help a family, right? Because we talk about our foster children, but it's about the family because at the end of the day, we forget even the parents 
who caused the children to go into care, there's something going on with them. And we don't ever want to forget that, right? We don't want to forget how important they are in our children's lives because they still matter. I worked the intake for over 20 years for abuse and neglect. And trust me, the amount of children that would rather be in a, a home with no food and water and um, lights and gas, they'd rather be in there than at Child Haven because they with their family. They'd rather be in an abandoned car that's greasy and hot and dirty. They'd rather be on the bridge, under the bridge. Like we children have been found in some places that you, they wouldn't even ask for help and they wouldn't even think to ask for help because if that's where their family are, that's where they want to be. So the family dynamics in and of itself is still important to our children. We never lose sight of that. Yeah. And the goal I, is to help them. I think that raises such a key point, which is what really matters to kids is, is their family. Their, the loving that they receive, that connection it really matters so you don't have to live in a mansion and have you know the best of everything in order to provide a quality of life for someone and that's another thing people have this ideal of what a foster home looked like hey my foster mom lived in a house right there in north las vegas off rico street it was a three-bedroom house i had other foster sisters in my baby and we was happy in that house we sure was absolutely yeah i mean we just want to you know just kind of move away from any of the myths and especially the things you heard our culture is changing within our um, foster care system to support our foster family more so we have what's called foster parent champions but we also just incorporated what's called wraps where we're just wrapping resources and services and supports around foster families so for those who kind of felt like oh well department of family services don't show a lot of support they're not really helpful we've changed that culture um, they've even increased the stipend every month and people are not fostering, don't get me wrong, for financial gain or benefit. I won't say everybody don't, but for the most part, it's the compassion in people's heart that say, hey, we want to help some children. We hear a lot of our families say we can afford to, we're able, we feel blessed with our home and our lifestyle and you know, we're financially stable. They come and want to help our kids all the time. And so we just want to move away from those things that would discredit us as an agency, you know, give us a chance for where we are right now, right? right. Um, all the things that you heard five years ago, 10 years ago, or Aunt Lucy experience, or the neighbor down the street experience with the foster care system, our culture is changing. Yeah. And we definitely want to be able to share that in providing our foster families with more resources and supports. That's what we're doing. We're starting with fingerprinting is free. We're starting with if we can get in there and help you get the physical exams and get you, you know, safety kits in your home. We're working on all that to support our foster families. We started up what we call a support group within the department where we get do ongoing trainings every month just to help them feel confident and give them more skills to help work with our children to understand the trauma because people forget trauma affects children's behaviors and so sometimes the behaviors can be a lot but when you can understand where the behaviors come from and understand how to work with them then you're more likely to hang in there with our children and give get with our children and give them a chance how long is your typical placement for? We don't like to answer that because we have situations where it looked like, oh, this child will be going on over the weekend and then they could be in the, in the system for six months. Or we could be like, oh, this child will probably be here for a while based on history and circumstance and then they'll leave out quicker. So it's really no definite answer to how long and on average. It's really not. It's on a really a case by case basis. And so if you have a family that may be able to commit to, let's just say six months, but then after that time, 
like they want to be involved, maybe they're moving or something like that happens. Is there a way for them to still be a foster parent, but not have to stay with the child for however long? Great question. Only the only reason why is because so if a family takes one of our children and let's say they're moving out of state, well, we're going to have to remove our child with them if we can't send the children out of state with them. We're going to have to place them in another placement, but they could stay connected to the child through that forever family mindset. We want our children to have people in their lives for long term. We don't want we don't want you to feel like you get to come into their life, but because you don't longer foster them, then you're out of their life. We don't operate like that. You become as long as you want to remain in their life, and it's possible. We're okay with that. We're That's definitely okay. With that. point. And, and I'm I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm I'm learning as we go because I'm not familiar with yeah. the system and all of that. But that was something I was always wondered because, I, admittedly. I'm, I get t- attached, you know, I'll, I'll go to read at a well, school. That's a big fear of a foster parent of, um, cause we talk about reunification a lot. Mm-hmm. We talk about our goal is to reunify our children with their parents. That's what we want for them. We know sometimes, so attest to people say, oh, well, I want to adopt. I want to foster to adopt. So foster care is not about fostering to adopt. And this is how I like to explain it. So people say, oh, well, I'm here cause I want to adopt. And we say, okay. One, if you do want to adopt, you still have to go through the, you know, the fostering process because we got to make sure we match you right first. But this is the ideal of it. So we don't do what's called foster to adopt. Foster and adoption speak two different languages. Foster, we speak reunification. We speak shared parenting. We speak working with the birth families. We speak with giving you tools and techniques, but also how to support them. Foster adoption is straight talking about you taking care of the child forever. So you see, there are two different languages. So I like to say that it's a fact. Foster families do um, adopt our children all the time. So foster parents do become adoptive parents all the time. That's a fact. But that's not the goal of foster care. The goal of foster care is for our children to be placed in a home temporarily because at that time they're not seen as safe. While the agency worked to make the family safe, enhance the parents' protective capacities so we could put those children back in the home. So that's the difference. Yeah, that I mean, that's a, a big point. And I think for a lot of folks, that's a, a comforting thought because, I, again, I get attached. So, you know, knowing that going in makes a difference and just having that mindset shift of the goal really is to reunify. And I, I think that's important for our communities and to make our communities whole is like we want to restore people. We don't want to just. Yes, punch there it is. I think that's powerful. In our last few minutes together, what is your message to those that will hear this or or be watching? What is your message to them? Well, I definitely, we're talking about having compassion. I'm glad that this opportunity to talk about compassion because we want people to have compassion for us, no matter what we're doing in our life, no matter what's going on with our life. We would love for people to show us compassion um, during our lows, during our highs, whatever going on in our life. We want, and it's showing compassion to be willing to take a child into your home. It's being opened up your heart, um, open up your time, um, sometimes your resources um, for our children. But our children need homes. They need safe homes. They need a place to be where they can feel safe. They want to, we need them to heal, grow, and thrive. But we need our community to come on board. Um, we know that within the African-American community, there's a lot of resistance and we're not here to pretend like it's not. But I'm also asking that if you can, you know, lower your your um, 
you know, you're resistant towards it because our children need you. But I also talk about if you don't want to foster, there's so many other ways we have. I'm going to give you some examples. We have what's called court appointed uh, special advocates, which are called CASA workers. CASA workers become like big brothers, big sisters to our children. There is a special program. You go through training, but you can become a CASA. You can partner with us. Your business can partner with us to help one spread the word about foster care, show up and help us um, provide other resources and services to our children and to our foster homes through donations, putting on events for our kids. There's just so many other ways that you could offer support because we understand everybody don't want to foster, but just to reach out, get involved, um, share what you would like to do, even if it's not fostering, what you can do, how you can, and let us build the relationship so we can work together to help our foster families and our foster children. Hmm. That's what I want to say. heard you say is that there is a place for anyone that wants to help to help. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Goodness. It is a place. Lynn, first of all, thank you for your story and for your trans uh, transparency. Uh, this yeah. was, was so enlightening for me personally. I know our, our audience is going to just be, they're going to be calling you and telling you, hey, we're ready to get engaged. Because we're so. passionate people, and and I think you've shared the the impact that someone can have by giving even their foster kids some grace. Because it would have been so easy for your foster mom to say, "Oh, you made a mistake. I don't want to do this anymore." But instead, she stuck with you, and now look and at what I you like to share. Thank you for bringing that up because I do like to share. Like, so you 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 say, "Oh, there's a seven year old foster girl," and then you know some of the things you hear. We know the stereotypes. We know the hearsay. We know the things that said about foster children. We can look at statistics about foster children, right? We can look at statistics about foster mom. And I, and I, I'm saying what I'm saying to say like. I was a 14-year-old little girl that entered the foster care system with a baby. So that alone made people like, oh, no, I'm not taking her. Oh, no. And her life is doomed. And she she's not going to make it. And she's, there's no way she's going to be successful. And I show up to my foster mom's house with no credits in the ninth grade. So then it's like she's going to be a high school dropout, like all the statistics that come along with being a teen mom and a foster child. And I like to share, like, if my foster mom would have got stuck on that, then here it is. I'm Lynn Jusames. I've authored three books. One of my books, um, The Les Brown, one of the top motivational speakers in the world, he wrote the foreword to one of my books. I did platinum speaking with him for over two years, right? I have my own fragrance line, which I've never had a launch party because I sell it out in my trunk so fast, right? Um, I have a nonprofit called Supporting Underprivileged Americans. We did our first backpack drive with the Kevin Hart when he got the keys to the city over at Doolittle, right? Um, been working with the Department of Family Services for over 25 years. Um, I'm part of an Eagles organization, which I'm the regional director for Las Vegas, Nevada. Eagles organization is a nonprofit organization who primarily work with foster kids and youth, youth in college, mentoring program. They just took um, the kids on a fishing trip. A lot of foster kids. We work with Just in Time, which is a major uh, foster care agency that supports children who've aged out of foster care. So again, I'm not bragging. I'm trying to impress upon people what a foster child can grow up to be if given opportunity. Do that make sense? Absolutely. I've worked with some amazing people. I mean, who would ever thought that I would be in, you know, in the room with Beyonce dad? Well, I got pictures with him. So it's not fake. I got the receipts as they call it. Right. And I don't really talk about those things in the front front, but I wouldn't have thought that at 14 years old, that I would be in the presence of people like Armando, the guy who had the home, um, the home show. 
being the presence of someone like Les Brown, being the presence of someone like Kimberly Elise. And again, I got my receipt and I can go on and on. Being able to do a, 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 a you know a, an event with Kevin Hart, I didn't see that for myself either. But I feel like my foster mom did. My high school counselor who helped me take the classes, who helped me stay going through school, put me in, in the mail classes, morning classes, afternoon classes. They were seeing things in me that I probably didn't see in myself. And I would like the community to see our foster children like that. Like, give us a chance. That's all sometimes we need is a chance and a real commitment. Because had she not made a genuine commitment to me, she may not have hung in there the way she did with me. And she had a lot of compassion. <laughs> well, I think we can leave it there. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. And what you do matters. So live compassionately. I'll see you next time.